Thank you to Andrea, Chris, and the Crosswinds team. It's been a great weekend here, and yes, I hail from these Ohios. Uh, some of you may not have a lot of familiarity with Ohio, but I'm just going to take a real risk here. O-H. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Woo! Now, some of you are like, whatever, like, that just gave me life friends. That just gave me life. And so, yes, I am from Ohio, and this is a fun weekend to be here. I love celebrating parent-child dedications, and there is a thread of that that I think will continue on what we're going to talk about today, not so much in children, but about what makes home meaningful and how overwhelm can impact us. And so uh, since we talked about kids, I usually don't talk about my kids from the stage, but uh, they're, they're a pretty cool group. Uh, it's been a busy, busy season. About three and a half weeks ago, my 26-year-old daughter, Samantha, got married. So here is Samantha with her new, her longtime love, Stephen. And uh, people looking, uh, my kids just a prep look nothing like me. Uh, they are my biological kids. I carried them, raised them, went sleepless from them, and they do not look like me. <laughs> Which is tough, because they're old now, and I should let that go. <laughs> so uh, that's Sam. Uh, she's 26, and Steven. And then here's the rest of my crew. Uh, the one in the middle, that's my oldest, Kai. Kai will be 30 next month. And uh, a year ago, Kai transitioned from Kate to Kai. I'll talk a little bit more about uh, Kai and Kai's spouse in a moment. Uh, there's Sam, who looks beautiful, and then the one in the green is my youngest, Abigail Grace. She's 22, and she is a NICU nurse at a large metro hospital. Uh, the week before the wedding, I needed to fly out to New York because Kai lives in New York. Uh, Kai graduated from West Point in 2015, is now back at West Point as an instructor as of a couple of months ago. And so I hadn't been out to New York to visit Kai, and that's my daughter-in-law, Cass, at their new home, and so I was trying to figure out how to fit in a visit with the wedding, and I just wrapped up my ninth book, and I had a DVD taping, and, and so there was just a lot going on over that, that season. And um, in order to get to Kai's place at West Point, I had to fly into New York City, and I had to take a subway, and then head to Grand Central Station. If you've never been to Grand Central Station, this is a video that I took while I was there, and I want you to notice the marble floors. They're gorgeous, aren't they? But historically, at Grand Central Station, the way the trains run, it's a minute after the scheduled time. Because people often, when they were rushing, would slip on those marble floors and seriously hurt themselves. You and I all have places that we need to be in life. We all have things that we're trying to get done and get through. And often in the midst of all of the push and the hustle and the bustle, we keep thinking we wish we had more time. We wish that we had more space. And how often do things happen and go wrong when we're rushing? And it ends up throwing everything off track. Today we're going to talk about how do we make room for God to bless you. And there is an idea that I would love for you to focus on today, and it's our big idea that we are blessed when we rest. I'd love it if you would say that with me. We are blessed when we rest. I mean, and just for kicks, just look at the person who is close around you, and, and let's say it to each other. We are blessed when we rest. 
And for those of you who've been around church for a while, you're familiar with this idea of Sabbath and rest, and yeah, we're going to talk about that. But more importantly, I want to get to the reasons why we don't do it, because there are a lot of things that we know we should do that we are not doing. As Andrea said, uh, I am from church world. Uh, I spent 14 years on staff at my church, and uh, I would say for those of us who are in church world, we probably blow this more than anyone rushing. Uh, at my church, we had five weekend services, two on Saturday, three on Sunday. We worked six days a week. And on that seventh day, it took a long time for me to recognize, even as a teaching pastor, what it really meant to rest. And I had to get to the bottom as to why I wouldn't for a very long time let myself do it. Rest, in many ways, it requires margin. And uh, Dr. Richard Swenson is a scientist. He has the best defini definition of margin out there. Margin, it's the space between your load and your limit. Some examples on paper, we know that margin, if you're writing, margin is where you stop writing to the edge of your paper. And for all of us, it's different. Uh, I'm one of those people, I like to write all the way to the edge. Uh, some people like to go like halfway in the middle. Like, you know, when your teacher said you got like an 18 page paper back when we used to write out papers, we have an 18 page paper due and you kind of shrink the margins. Uh, when it comes to money, margin is what you have left over after you pay your bills. Another form of margin is with your schedule, how much time you have left after your tasks. Let me get to one I think that we all feel invested in. You're going to see a graphic here about how margin impacts your sleep. Uh, how much sleep you get directly impacts how far people should stay away from you. Can I get an amen? So there are some tangible things that I think you might be jumping on board here with margin that it represents for many of us this, this tension in our lives. When we have a lot of margin, we breathe a little easier. When you've got extra space and time, you can, you can kind of think more clearly. But when we are living with lives that are overloaded and overwhelmed, it's a lot like running across the floor of Grand Central Station with a cup of coffee and a train that's about to leave and hoping you don't slip and fall and throw everything off track. Let's do a little bit of a margin test here. Uh, the reason why I want to do this margin test is uh, John Mark Comer, he is the author of the well-known book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He talks about how hurry is incompatible with love and how margin, the lack of it, impacts our relationship. So you can answer these questions for yourself. Um, do you constantly rush the people in your life? Some of you have learned the hard way when you use the phrase chop, chop on somebody. Uh, if you've never used that phrase before, I would not. Uh, do you get angry or lose it if you feel like you're going to be delayed? Do you find that you're saying no to things that are important in your faith because you're always handling the urgent things that pop up and you don't have time? When we live without margin, we feel it internally. Ruth Haley Barton is a scientist. She says when we don't have margin, we have less patience, more forgetfulness. We have a higher degree of anxiousness. We are much more hypersensitive, and we tend to indulge in escapism. 
If some of those are meeting you at in your life right now, and that margin test, you're not feeling so great, I want to say that the good news is that there's something that God has already given us to address this problem of margin. And we're not addressing this problem of margin or rest just so that you and I can have more free time, but it is about us having time to attend to the important things in our lives. Too often our relationships reflect the level of our exhaustion. And so today, if you've been struggling with what your relationships look like, and you feel like you want more of an opportunity to invest in the people that are important, I think today we're gonna do a little digging to help you reset a new foundation. And so the story that we're gonna look at is a story about a group of people who are a lot like us. These individuals, long ago, God chose them as a special people. And uh, so if you love following along in the Bible, we're going to have the verses on the screen. But we're going to join the Israelites at the point at which they have gotten out of 400 years of slavery of Egypt. They were headed off into the wilderness. And, and the reason why I love sharing stories about the Israelites is not only are they like us, but they give us a glimpse of the earliest forms of God's grace. That over and over again, when you read about the Israelites in Scripture, what you'll notice is that God is constantly giving to them what they don't deserve. And as we talk about margin today, it's a gift that God is going to give to us. And so this story that we're stepping into, the Israelites, they had just been freed. And so we're going to start with Exodus chapter 16. It says, the whole community of Israel set out for Elim and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elim and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. Now, imagine this. If you've been enslaved your whole life and you are now free, you should be happy about it. And if you know anything about their story, part of most of their freedom came because God literally parted the Red Sea to keep the Egyptians from coming to take them back to slavery. That should stick in their memory. Except there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron because we complain about things, don't we? If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots of meat, ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Is that how they remembered Egypt? Did they forget about the generations of slavery? Did they forget about being oppressed, working sun up to sundown? Did they forget the Egyptians were killing off their babies? It's interesting that they were so discontent with what they had that they were willing to go back into slavery to get it. How much of the lack of margin in your life is related to the lack of contentment in your life. This one is a hard one. I'm not talking about baseline busy. We all have things in our lives that we need to attend to, taking care of kids, uh, working at our jobs, or caring for loved ones. But, uh, we're, so we're not going to demonize busy, but how much extra work do you have in your life because the things that you want, the things that you accumulate, and they are taking away from the ability for you to settle in and rest. About three years ago, I went through a divorce I didn't want to go through. 
For over 20 years, I had owned a five-bedroom home in a beautiful, historical Victorian neighborhood. And at the time, at that point, I felt like I had worked hard enough in my life that I wanted to have something tangible to show for it. But I remember looking at my house and thinking through and going, Barb, on your own, not just the financial cost of holding on to that home, but what is going to be the mental cost of me having to always think ahead about repairs and, and getting things fixed and maintained and mawns and decorating and, and, and the spiritual cost of it, the just being in that situation after the heartache our family had gone through. For some of you, you are slaving away for things because you're not content with the life that you have. You don't have time to rest because you're hoping that if you get more and more, that's what's going to give you that sense inside, and it still hasn't. Or maybe the contentment is with your kids. You don't want to, you want to make sure your kids have everything, and so you're willing to just keep pouring yourself out and pouring yourself out. In our family, this showed up with sports. All of my kids were great athletes. Uh, my oldest, however... My oldest was, um, she was a really, before the transition, she was a fantastic athlete. And I remember in college, she was named first team All-American for rugby. And as proud as I was of her, I regretted how much it cost our family for all of the years of travel sports, all of the weekends, all of the dinners missed all of the times that we could not relationally connect together. But we had this sense inside that we needed things to be more and better. As the Israelites are sitting upon, the, they're complaining about their condition, God speaks into this situation. And the grateful thing that, the thing I'm grateful for is God is not like us. When somebody is complaining around us, we kind of get a little bit, we feel some kind of way about it right back, don't we? But this is how God responds to the Israelites. The Lord says to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. They are complaining. And he is going to give them. He says, each day the people can go out to pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will, put a test, I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day they will gather food and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. God was going to take care of them, and they didn't have to do anything to earn it. They did not need to do click list, Instacart. There was no need for Uber Eats. He was going to deliver it right to the doorstep. Mom didn't need to pack the kids up in the minivan. They did not need to drive across town to traffic. They didn't even need cupboards. God knew exactly how to take care of them. And the part that was interesting that I loved, particularly as somebody who heard this question all the time, no one ever had to ask, what's for dinner? <laughs> but God, he blessed his children. One of my favorite quotes, uh, I wrote a Bible study a couple of years ago titled The Surrendered Bible Study. And the takeaway from this section was that God takes care of his children at all times, especially hard times. And I don't know if you needed to hear that today because we see the example that God didn't just take care of the Israelites by providing food. He didn't require that they had to go out and slave for it. He did not have them go off on some hardship adventure where they had to bring back like they did in slavery. 
He took care of his children because that's what God does. But that act of God's provision required that they had faith. Do you really trust that God will take care of you? How hard are you working these days because you think that it all rests on you? We can say that we love Jesus, but on the inside, there's this religion that we have that we believe it's the religion of hard work. That's the religion that we see. God is about this big. Our hard work is about this big. And so we're going to keep on that grind. And God is saying, I know exactly what you need and how much you need. The part that I appreciate about God is whenever we have blind spots in our lives, he likes to help us see things from a different perspective. And so a couple of verses later, uh, Moses says to Aaron, announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourself before the Lord, pay attention to this, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness, and there they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. Something very important happens here, friends. Something that you and I need to do more often is to lift our eyes from our problems, Lift our eyes from the things that we are so preoccupied by. Lift our eyes from the things that we think are so important so that we can see God for who he is. Too often we shrink God down to the size of what we think we can handle, and God is saying, mm, I'm much bigger than that. And as the people lifted their eyes, when they saw the glory of the Lord, they saw God elevated above the earth, they got a chance to remember and see the magnitude of the God who was the giver of all that they had. So for you and I, in order for us to believe that we are blessed when we rest, we've got to realize that when we rest, God is taking care of us in that rest. Because as long as you don't believe that God will take care of you, you will continue with the hustle. As long as you don't believe that God will take care of you, you will keep do, you'll work that extra hour. You will go ahead and you will skip that family gathering. And you will spend your days off, even if your schedule isn't super busy, your mind will overthink. You'll be thinking about your retirement, obsessing about your funds, obsessing about what's in your savings account or your retirement account or how you're going to get things done. Your rest isn't just about your body, but it's about your heart and mind. A few verses after this, this is when uh, that a manna appears. And the part that, you, that I love about manna is that it was the food from heaven. It was these little flakes that they would go out and, co and collect, and they could make them into various foodstuffs. And the part that is, is pretty special for me is that as the people collected, God divinely knew exactly how much everyone needed. He knew that no matter what their efforts were, everyone had exactly what they needed. But there was a caveat here. And the caveat was that some people did what they were told well, let me skip down a little bit more. Moses told them, don't keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen. Because. And then they kept it till morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And Moses was angry with them. The Israelites are doing the most here, friends. They, uh, maybe they trusted God. 
that much. But they didn't trust God enough. That God said there was one day where you don't have to go out and work. He wanted to free them from the slavery mentality in their mind. He wanted them to know that there would be a day that they could stop and let their minds and their bodies rest and recover. God can provide whatever you need without your help. And for me, the takeaway also is, is that when I do leave that space for God, that there's less waste in my life. In Exodus chapter 16, 27, talks about how some of the people still didn't listen. They went out on anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. And the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and my instructions? Ouch. They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. This is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day so there would be enough. And so this is the space, again, where we see God is saying, I am trying to give you something that you can't give yourself. Often we, if you've grown up in the church and you know that the Sabbath is important, we kind of go, well, you know, we'll kind of like save it. Like we may not be able to do, take a day off, but we'll just save it for vacation. So we're going to take 51 weeks of pressure and overwhelm and think that in seven days we're going to get ourselves straightened out. That's, that's the play that a lot of us have been going with, right? When God is saying, I have a weekly gift for you. This is a weekly provision that he makes that says, go do your thing for six days. Work hard. Be productive. God loves productivity. But there is one day a week where you are limited and you are reminded that I am limitless. And that is the same gift that God wants you to experience today. When the people went out, they had wasted their time on that seventh day. I want you to think through for your life. If you are grinding it out, whether you're going to a job or you're just staying busy 24-7, at some point you are not as productive as you need to be, are you? You're just pretty much burning on fumes, but you're out there going anyways. And God is just saying, pull back. Take the day. We are not supposed to work as hard as we have been working. God is sitting up in heaven going, y'all, I told you to take a break. And you've been praying because you've been exhausted. You've been praying because you need God to move. You've been praying. You've been waiting for it. And God is saying, maybe part of your prayer, maybe, is for you to move out of the way so that you can see me do something. Amen. Sabbath is a gift, it is a grace, it is a practice, and it's a pace. So I'm going to talk more strategically about what it looks like for us to live this out practically. But I, it is a weekly reminder that you are cared for by a caring God. Now I come to you today as somebody who is a very, very long time workaholic who has been a recovering workaholic for a number of years. And I discovered that when I stopped and I took that day and I backed off and I had to trust God with what wasn't happening, some, some powerful things really began to surface. For me, Sabbath 
It was a way for me to increase my faith because I had to step aside and recognize that I am limited and God is limitless. And I had to let him be God over that day. Another thing I recognized was that I had freedom from control-loving behaviors. Some of us, we like things to be our way, and we get frustrated when it doesn't. And Sabbath is a weekly way for you to practice letting go of control. Some of you are like, well, what do you mean? Uh, some of the common letting go of control behaviors, this is in my surrendered Bible study. I call them the shine, S-H-I-N-E, stonewalling, digging your heels in, helicoptering, micromanaging people, interrupting, interfering with people's lives, nagging, don't need to explain that, excess planning, all of those things, because when you're exhausted and tired, you try to take control of things. And when you learn to live by giving God space, you begin to practice letting go of some of those behaviors. Stronger mental health. When you allow your mind to rest in God, when it's not spinning because it no longer depends on you, your mental health, your anxiety will decrease, your sleep will increase because you will have known that God is with you and he is for you and he will figure it out. And the part that I love, one of the greatest benefits is that it helps me love others better. As we talk practically about Sabbath, you'll notice that a lot of the benefits are going to translate relationally. And so the rhythm of Sabbath looks a little like this. The rhythm of Sabbath is looking down. It's seeing the work. This is in Genesis 1 when God is creating the world. God saw that all he had made. And so we look down. We appreciate the work that we've done. But then we look up, as God told the Israelites to, to see and remember who God is. And then we step back and we rest to fill up and we repeat. And so the rhythm of Sabbath is to look down. It is to look up. It is rest to fill up and repeat. Some of you may be wondering functionally, how do you do Sabbath? Well, it's football season. And so I was trying to figure out how to make this portable and easy. And so we're actually going to use the words ESPN to help guys, some of you are like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> so we're gonna use the words ESPN. The E is enjoy it. Many of you, the first couple of times you practice this, it's weekly because it's a practice. The first couple of times you practice this, you're not gonna be convinced because your minds are gonna be spinning about everything you are not getting done. But the core of Sabbath is that it is a gift from God for you. The N stands for, or the S stands for you suspend appointments or obligations. Sabbath isn't the day you catch up on chores. Sabbath isn't the day you round the family up and go, hey, we're going to clean out the garage, y'all. <laughs> Sabbath is a day that you choose each week where your mind doesn't have to fire up and think. It, this, my friends, this is a game changer for your mental health. I, I travel, I speak about 25 to 30 times a year. I average write two books a year. I have a lot that is sticking, sticking in my mind. My heart, my mind, my body, it goes through a lot. But one day a week, I can tell you I am a pro at sitting and staring at the wall. I am a literal rock star. And if you, I have my Fitbit here, if you check my Fitbit, it shows that I sleep ridiculously well for someone who has an aggressive schedule. That taking away that I've got to do this, the to do, the do more, one day a week, 
it will radically change your mental health. The next, for P, this is for you practical patties out there who are panicking. You prepare the meal, you either do it night before or order out. You are ordering out anyway, so there. <laughs> Throw it in the crock pot. Go ahead and, and what have you, you can invite friends over, but you can prepare the meal. If there are critical chores, do them the night before. Now, on Sabbath, that doesn't mean you let the kids stay in the diaper all day. Sabbath doesn't mean that you don't ignore the basic care stuff. If, you've got, if you're a caregiver for a parent or a family member or a friend, on Sabbath, you just don't schedule doctor's appointments for them. On Sabbath, this is when we look the people that we love in the eye or on the Zoom screen. We look them in the eye and we ask how they're doing. Sabbath is the day when we reconnect with God and we have those long needed moments where we allow God to speak who he is over us. This is a relational day that will fill you up. If your marriage is struggling, Sabbath is what you need. You're not talking about the budget, you're not talking about the bills, but you're reconnecting. If you're struggling with your kids, Sabbath is what you need. You're not trying to rush them out the door, push them in the next place. If you are single and you need to have a greater connection relationship with people, I'm one of those single people, Sabbath is what you need. I have coffee with friends. I take long walks in the park. I'm able to sit and read and stare at that fabulous wall. For every relational struggle in your life, this is God's weekly gift to you. Don't let it pass by you. In Jesus' time, the religious leaders, though, uh, the last one is N for no electronic pacifiers. I'm not saying that you've got to completely ditch electronics, but they shouldn't be what helps you pass the day. It may be meaningful to have a family movie night or to sit down and watch a favorite TV show, but it shouldn't be what gets you through the day. Now, I gave you some principles here. I didn't want to give you rules because in Jesus' time, the people created, the Jewish people created a lot of rules around Sabbath, and the rules got ridiculous, and so I don't want you to do that. But I want you to think through in your life and just say, is this the space that God is calling me to attend to? If you are to model Sabbath, imagine the lasting and positive impact that you can have on your family. Parents, if you teach your children now to have that principle of a shutdown day, you are teaching them one day a week that they can trust God with their lives. For all of us, we want to have better relationships with God and others. And God has given us this gift that we can hold. God's gift of rest, it doesn't need to be earned. You do not need to earn rest. God has given it to you. Even if you're complaining, even if you're discouraged, even if you're annoyed, he has still given this gift of, to you and he wants you to embrace rest and to enjoy it. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you recognize how limited we are as humans. You recognize, God, how difficult it is for us to stop and bring our eyes back to you. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone who's feeling the tension of this message, that they would say yes and take a step. 
and trust that you will help them figure it out. For all of us, Lord, I pray that we would become people who stand and trust and know that you are greater than whatever it is that we are facing, that you are our provider, and that you will never let us down. Let us, Lord, change the people around us as they see us trusting you one day a week, that we will share the story of our faith and our rest, and that they also, God, would be attracted to you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to stay connected with Barb, um, get one of her books or follow her on social media, you can find her at barbruce.com. If you want to connect with her in person, she'll stay here down front. Um, come say hi. Ask her a question if you want prayer. She's here for that too. Uh, would you guys stand with me? Uh, I trust that you heard what you needed to hear today. I wanna encourage you, think about your week this week. Where can you make space for Sabbath? And we will see you next week for So Loved. Have a great day. See you later. <laughs>